0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed Play Love, a bite sized parenting podcast. This episode is Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse extraordinaire, Chris Minogue. If she can't help you, nobody can. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Feed Play Love. It is Helpline with Mothercraft Nurse, Chris Minogue. Chris has over 30 years' experience helping families with their newborns, their toddlers, the mixture of them, more multiples, you name it, she has a strategy for everyone. She just (laughs) needs to know a few details, which is where this program comes into play. So the idea is with Helpline, every week um, you can message us um, on the live Facebook feed. So if you're watching this video on Facebook, just pop your questions below and we'll try to get to them. You can also email us at helpline at au. Unfortunately, this week we're not taking any phone calls. We're just yeah. having a few technical issues. So sorry about that, uh, which is quite interesting because that is our preferred way of getting questions. Um, Chris, welcome. Thank you for joining us yet again. Well, oh, it's always a pleasure. So let's get cracking with the questions that we have. Um, sure. Jackie has a three and a half month old. Yep. Jackie says, I've read the Tresillian sleep book and the little one's sleep recommendations, but my three-and-a-half-month-old baby doesn't happily follow either because they can't read yet. That's right. Um, He sleeps reasonably well overnight with between two and five wakes, but rarely sleeps more than 45 minutes per day nap, even if I try to resettle him, with one and a half to two hours between naps. He's generally happy when he's awake. How important is it to achieve
1: the one and a half to two hour naps that are recommended? It is important, Jackie, because we know that if the baby stays in the 45 minute sleep cycle in time, as they drop sleeps, they'll be getting less and less sleep and you'll have a much more overtired baby so that pointed around 3 4 months where they become really alert and really awake is a time to help get them into linking cycles together. And what I see from the people that I work with, that when they do 45-minute cycles in the day, eventually, within the next month or so, their nights fall apart. And you can sort of see this because sometimes you're up five times at night, whereas a a three-and-a-half-month-old, I think two would be really reasonable. One would be fantastic, Mm -hmm. but five is a lot. So, you know, there's a bit of this behaviour that now is falling through to his night behavior. So it's not so much about the 45 minutes. It's about the the essence of the message that he gets about going to sleep and how you look at resettling. So that's why I think it's important to get the balance right, that it's not every sleep in his bed because That would just become overwhelming if you were just going backwards and forwards into a baby's room and a baby not playing the game, so to speak. So, usually, what I would say to a parent at this point is one of two things continue resettling him because it does take about a month, and that's what the books don't say. Right. This is not a quick fix. This isn't, I've learned to feed you, I've learnt the pattern, so why aren't you doing it? This is a repetitive behavior that we teach him because he's got to mature over that month to be able to do it. So good argument for not doing it for a month, but weirdly, it still takes a month. So whether you do it this month or next month, it will probably still take a month pick your battles. So pick your sleeps that you think are important for him to resettle on. So for me, it's usually a morning sleep because if they start their day well, they're not overtired by the end of the day. And an afternoon sleep because it breaks up that period of time that he's awake for. And they are the sleeps that are going to resettle for. So in essence, he could have a big sleep, a little sleep, a little 45 minute one when you're out and about, another big one in the afternoon, and then he'll probably need a little cat nap towards the end of the day. So now you've set your rhythm, now you've got your frame around when and why you're going to resettle. So if you're going to do it for the morning one, you've put him down at 8 o'clock and he wakes up at 835 I would usually give myself a good 40 minute window to try and get him to resettle. And I do that in part by listening to him and then reacting to the cry. So if he's just whinging, talking, a little bit of crying, a little bit of whinging, a little bit of talking, i probably stand back a little bit and see if he can self-settle. If it gets up into an active cry and I've counted to 60 in my head, I'm going in and I'm helping him. I'm shushing, I'm patting, I'm body rocking, the room is dim, it's quiet. I think... At the moment, what I see is people overusing white noise. It's really loud. Mm. And when it's really loud and you wake up after 45 minutes, it's going to wake you up. So turn that white noise down to just about the level of a fan moving in the room. And I think you'll find that you'll have more luck with your resettling. So there's many different ways of doing it. But if I would just stick to the basics, listening Going in when it's an active cry, helping him to settle. The other thing that I think doesn't get across is that it takes between five minutes and fifteen minutes to settle a baby. So it's not a two minute thing and it's not a one minute thing. It's it's a distance thing. Yep. And it's that consistency. And and I think if you stick at it, you will pay it will pay off and in a month's time you'll be in a better place. Yeah. As someone who didn't do any of those things. <laughs> I recommend
0: Chris's <laughs> method. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, just, her honesty I, is
0: amazing, I isn't rocked, it? <laughs> I did rock my, I rocked, you rocked my her. eldest. I did tell her too. Yeah, she yeah. did tell me not to. Uh, <laughs> I rocked her. I got her. She did catnaps for the for, first. for that first period for forty five minute forty five minutes each time, and I remember thinking, oh, isn't this nice? Isn't it's it so cute? Yeah, yeah. It's got bit, she paid for it. I did. She's got really good <laughs> upper body strength. Yeah, that's though. how she paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The next question comes from Caroline, who has a two-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, well, his son will be three in July. Okay. And he's registered for nursery school for September. Yep. He's been to visit the school, and I couldn't get him to leave, and he yeah. asks me frequently if... He can go to school, please. Actually, I should preface this one. I think it's from the States, just yep. it's a little bit different to our system. Oh. There goes our, there <laughs> goes our sign <laughs> for those who are watching on Facebook. Those who are listening, you don't know. But we had a sign that just <laughs> fell down. It's all happening. Okay, so the almost three-year-old has been to visit school, wants to stay. We go to the library and playground and gym class to socialise, but yep. we don't get out as often as I'd like due to my oldest child's schedule. I'm going to send him to summer camp at his new school to get him uh, um, acclimatised with the school, but the summer program is four days a week for three hours. I feel like that's too much for him. Lately, he's asking so much to go and play with kids. I'm wondering if he might benefit from going to school now. It's two days a week for two and a half hours. My oldest son son was content at home and didn't start school until three.
1: Hi, Caroline. I think th- the system is different in America, but I think him he's obviously saying to you, I want to be out there. I want to socialize. And I think the time frames that they're offering you of two and a half hours or three hours is perfectly natural for his age group to engage with someone. So I would look at both the boys' schedules and I personally, he's trying to say to you, I want to go. So I would try and put it in and, and let him socialise with the kids. It's going to make it easier when he goes to, off to preschool as he gets older. Um, here we have much longer hours. They go for like six and eight hours. Mm-hmm. So I think two and a half hours and three hours is just really going to support his sociability, his ability to interact with other children, his language development. So if he can make it work for him, I think that's what he's looking for and I would try and get him there.
0: Yeah, yeah. sounds sounds good. We have a question from Lachanda. She has uh, a nine-year-old girl, a seven-year-old girl, and a three-year-old boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for smiling, Big but juggle. this this question here, I, I get you. <laughs> they are constantly yelling over and each and at each other, and argue all the time. What can I do to help them get alone? Um, how okay. how to get the how to help them get alone. The girls are homeschooled. They're constantly fighting and it really makes me upset. I can't get them to quit yelling at each other.
1: Wow. Um, So it looks like you've got a problem with a nine and a seven year old than the three year old. Yeah. So this is a much older group and this is. Oh, very in essence. So it's a little bit out of our age group, but in essence, you've got to teach them to learn to respect each other and when they're talking. And I think I would spend a few days really talking to them about their behavior and giving them a few more skills on how they can interact with each other and interact with you so that they feel that they're being heard without yelling and and screaming at each other. Uh, A girlfriend of mine homeschooled her children, so I'm sure she would have some points on how to do this because I'm sure it would come up. But I think we've got to teach them to respect each other and to wait and to listen. So I would probably give yourself a whole week of just addressing that part alone.
0: It's very very challenging. I mean, I know that my kids, um, I mean, they go through phases. They're uh, four Four and and seven. seven. Yeah. And they fight all the time. I think That's a hard thing because I know that um, while my daughter has issues at school sometimes yeah. and fights with the kids, she doesn't fight with anyone the way she
1: fights with the brother.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you always hurt the ones you love, right? But
1: I see, I think the other interesting thing about this is the homeschooling. So your daughter can go to school and model it and see other models of how to interact at school. Right. And she's sort of got her boundaries about what she can do in, can the, in the social world <laughs> versus what she can push at home so yeah. you can correct. Whereas here, when they're homeschooled, There isn't necessarily as much of that social interaction for them to model other behaviours. So I think this could be one of the lessons of homeschool, which is how we respect when someone's talking. And I think that's a skill that we inadvertently teach our children, hopefully, to do as we go along. But the girls are just at each other. At the moment. And one of them could be also homeschooling them in separate rooms just for a few days so that they're individually getting some of your attention Mm. or a few hours in the day they're in separate spaces and then bring them back and that might help. But it's a little bit out of our. Our, our sort of range, but that might help you understand where the fighting's coming from. Yeah, and maybe um, I'm sure you've already done this, but have a search online because
0: when I saw this question, I I myself thought, oh, that's that's a really good story. I might yeah. like, do it on Feed, Play Love, and but there's got to be someone out there doing programs on yeah. for siblings. I know there are definitely programs for friends, especially yeah. girls, and how they. Um, I would I would
1: use the same. Right. The same techniques as you do with the friendship bit. Okay. But I think the thing here is that they're they're at home most of the time all together Mm. where – with friendships, they get a break because they go off on, obviously, to their individual house. So I think they're biding for a bit of time. There is a good program yeah. in, in
0: Sydney um, that she travels around and yeah. I can't remember the name of it right now, the Chanda, but um, I'm mentioning this so that our producer, Elise, if she gets time during the show, she can maybe have a look back because we have spoken to this woman who About. does the programs for girls' friendships and yeah. um, if we find it, we'll pop... The um, link to her yeah. her stuff in the notes, yeah. If that will help, Good um, luck. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, couldn't be more help. It is a little bit outside our age range. Yeah. Chris Minogue and Helpline on Feed Play Love will be back answering more questions right after this. Hi, I am Siobhan Hunt. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club. Come on, we've all been there. We've all pushed (laughs) our children's poo down (laughs) Down the the drain of the shower or bath. (laughs) One that only other parents and carers can truly understand. The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children, with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your questions with Helpline and Chris Minogue. Um, Our next question comes from Jasmine with a seven-month-old early morning waking. Um, She's waking – the baby is waking at 5.20 a.m. every morning. We have tried offering a feed at this time, resettling, and both of these didn't work. We've resorted to leaving her in the cot with an on and off crying until 6.30 a.m. My question is, how do we get our baby to sleep later? Her routine at the moment is out of the cot at six thirty a.m. Nap from eight thirty a.m. till ten a.m. Another nap from twelve or twelve thirty till two thirty p.m. Another one from four thirty to five thirty, and bedtime is between seven thirty and eight. She wakes one to two times a night for feeds. Usually, she feeds around two a.m. Some nights she's awake for two to three hours after the feed. This is a very bad night. Uh, where are we going wrong? That's from Jasmine.
1: I don't think you're going wrong, but I can see how we could try and make it a little easier. She's getting, um, she's getting too much sleep too late in the day from what I can see from here. So if we look at a seven-month in general, she'll have four milk feeds in the day. She'll have three meals. So she's having a morning milk, then breakfast, a sort of mid-morning milk, lunch before she goes down for her afternoon sleep and then her evening milk. So if we spread those milks out, she's getting a lot of feeds both overnight and possibly in the day. And she's a bit confused about how to go to sleep and what happens when you go to sleep. But the second thing that I can see here is she's having too much sleep in the day. So she normally would have two sleeps in the day. So going down, if she got up at 6, or you're getting her out of the cot at 6.30. But remember, she's been awake since 5.30 even if she's been argy-bargy backwards and forwards. So I'd put her down at 8.30 and then get her up at 10. So she's having about an hour and a half there. But then I would put her down three hours later. So I'd put her down more at 1 o'clock and let her sleep anywhere up to 4.30. So she could sleep for two hours and two hours would be great if she slept from 1, one o'clock to 3 o'clock or one thirty to 3.30. Um, but she could sleep up to 4.30. And then she needs to be awake from 4.30 to 7 o'clock. So I think she's getting a little bit too much sleep in the day, much as it pains me to say that to somebody. (laughs) Um, And what that's doing though is giving her more energy when she wakes up at night. So when she wakes up, she's more persistent with what's happening. She can wake up and stay awake for an hour or so. So we know those two things are directly um, associated. So if you could move her to two sleeps in the day, just gradually decrease that mid-morning one that she's having – and then increase the afternoon, bring it forward and increase the afternoon one, then I think she'll be in a better place when she goes down and she will probably sleep closer to six o'clock in the morning. If she sleeps until six o'clock in the morning, it's uptime. Mm-hmm. And then I'd put her down at 8.30, let her sleep to about 10, 10.30. And then three hours later, I'd put her down one one thirty to 4.30. And then put it down at 7 and see if that regulation alone fixes your 5.20 problem. And can I ask the question, just sure. to be devil's
0: advocate? Yes. Um, people, obviously, as adults, we have our own definition of what is early. Yeah. When is it early, too early, early for a baby? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I,
1: where it doesn't fit in with their day and it makes it yeah. too early for a baby would be probably any time before 5.30. Okay, So some kids get up at 5.30 in their early rises until their day sleep moves to one day sleep, which is not till 14 months. And then it sort of fixes that problem. And that's the baby who doesn't quite need as much as as other babies. But any time before 5.30, I think you end up with an overtired baby all day. Yeah. In, In the terms of a baby being under one.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's just it's an interesting thing, yeah. isn't it? Because we so, have different ideas yeah, in Yeah, what,
1: what early is. So I have yeah. couples who they think 5.30 is fine because they get up at 5.30. So it's all <laughs> – and then I have Crazy. a lot of people who ask me about the 7 o'clock window and can't ever achieve it because they don't really Babies do Babies just don't think that way. Yeah. I, my kids still don't. No, they still don't think about it, do they? <laughs> No, <laughs>
0: at least they're not getting they up at 5.20 They will at 16. though. <laughs> yeah. Should I be looking forward to that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, our next question comes from Sally. Um, How much milk does a a 10-and-a-half-month-old need a day? He's on formula bottles, and I'm just keen to make sure he's getting enough. We've dropped his night feed, so only doing three bottles, and he drinks water through the day as well.
1: So that's really good. He's having three bottles in the day, and he's having his water probably from a little sippy cup. So in the bottles, it does vary. So what I do is I put it in the bottle, and what he takes, he takes. So I put 180 mils in the first two bottles, his breakfast one and his lunchtime one, and then in the evening one I put 240. It's very confusing what's written on the back of the tin and I just let him navigate through that. So if he wants 150, if he wants 100, that's what he has. The milk isn't attached to the sleep at this age. So he could have no milk and sleep really well and he could also have loads of milk and be up really often at night. So three bottles, really good. Water during the day, excellent. About 180 in the first two and 240 in the second one, but he can regulate and take as much as he wants from it.
0: And so what you're basically saying is that um, it doesn't matter how much he takes from them. So even if
1: he took 50 ml from the first bottle, is that fine
0: because got yeah. getting
1: solids? He's getting solids and he's getting water. So if he takes 50 from the first one, then he might take 100 from the second one. He might take 180 from the third one. So there's not a regulation on how much because he's really starting to move away from that volume of milk. So by 12 months, we're not worried about the volume of milk. We're just worried that he gets some milk. Okay. And is there a... um recommended amount of dairy
0: they get in that case is that part of it there is a really? recommendation
1: but it's usually by this stage we're doing the recommendation through food okay so that yeah and... that's right so lots of babies they might be breastfed and they just wean onto cups and they're sipping milk and they're having things like yogurts and and cheeses in their diet to help increase it and fresh veggies and getting it from other sources then getting it directly from the milk
0: Okay, yeah. Good luck with that, Sally. Mm -hmm. Our next one is from Jew, who has a six-month-old um, having problems with sleep. In the last two weeks, he has woken three to four times during the night and I don't know what's causing it. Some changes have been taken place during this time, include transitioning from swaddle to sleep bag, yeah. moving from co-sleeping in my room to sleeping in his room in his cot and having solids with every meal. His sleep pattern during the day is about a two-hour nap starting at 8.30 or 9 and a 40-minute starting around 1.00 occasionally he will sleep for 20 minutes in the car if we were out and about um, at 4.30 to 5, but this is rare.
1: Okay, so I think the wake-ups at night is he's overtired, so he's only getting about, he's getting less than three hours in the day. Um, But if you think about that two-hour sleep he gets, so say you put him down at 9 and he gets up at 11, from 11 o'clock to when you put him down at night, if we assume that's 7 o'clock, he's only getting 40 minutes sleep. So he's a really overtired bub by the end of the day and therefore he will have more frequent um, wake-ups overnight. So that's one possibility of what might be going on. It sounds like his food is fine. I don't think that's the problem. Um, Do we say whether we're breast or bottle? No. Okay. So the only other thing is sometimes when we go fast on the food, so he's on three meals and he's six months old, and he's taking big quantities, he's not taking enough of his feed, so it's interfering with the milk, and that could be why he's waking up overnight. So you've got to really watch those amounts, and it's really varied the information that we get on amounts that we feed babies, and it's really confusing for parents out there. But I, I at six months, would probably only have him on two small, smaller meals and a bit of you know finger food to explore and develop, um, but if you feed them too much food, they won't sleep more because they just it just interferes with the amount of milk they're taking during the day. So the smart little babies that they are will just wake up more frequently for the feeds at night. So that could be a possibility. So there's a couple of little oh, possibilities. Sorry, always oh, breastfed. Worked. Yes. So if that, those amounts, um, of food are too big, he will use the breastfeeding as a drink in the day. So he gets very distracted, only feeds for short periods. Then he wakes up at night for the big feed. So he's reverting the feed around. So that's probably the most likely. I don't. It does take them a little while to to um, adjust to arms free in a sleeping bag. But that literally what about only that takes arm free to the bassinet. That usually doesn't make a difference. So co sleeping to the bedroom yeah. in his cot usually doesn't make a difference. Okay. Yeah. In fact, they usually sleep better. Because right. there's less disturbances in the room. No, you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: You'll probably be asleep. Well, well not now. Not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not now. But, once but you, you will. Sorted it out, I um, came. But my guess is um, we've gone in a bit too fast and far, ha- hard on the food. He's not feeding as effectively with his breastfeeds in the day. And therefore, he's waking up at night. And you add to that the fact that between 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock at night, he's only getting 40 minutes sleep in seven hours, eight hours, then he's going to be a really overtired bub and he will not be breastfeeding well by the end of the day. Therefore, he'll wake up at night for them. So we have to look at that day pattern before we solve the night problem.
0: Okay. So once you've sorted out the day, if you want help with night, come back to us. Yeah, because
1: some of your nights will sort themselves out by looking back over the day. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with
0: that. Uh, The next question comes from Stephanie. Just uh, the last... Three weeks, three or so weeks, my two-and-a-half-year-old boy has started pushing our nine-month-old girl onto the floor in the shower when she's standing, sitting, lying on the floor, to the Mm -hmm. point where she has constantly got a bump or bruise on her forehead. The other day, he pushed her back on the concrete. She was fine, but it scares me. I have tried explaining not to, tried to smack on the bum. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm not sure if he's trying to be malicious or just doesn't quite understand that he's hurting her.
1: Oh, no, I think he does. (laughs) I think I see more first children jealous of the baby once the baby starts moving than I do seeing yes, children jealous true. of newborn babies. Yeah, that happened with me, yeah. I think. Yeah. So once that baby's sort of mobile and getting into their things, um, and you can imagine she's nine months old, she's pulling to stand, she's crawling. There are lots of oohs and ahs and clever girl and, and all of those encouraging the things that you say to a nine-month-old and we've got a two-and-a-half-year-old hearing it. Now, this is where it's important because if we then go overboard with him, we're giving a distorted pattern of behavior. I think you address the behavior in terms of the pushing and shoving than it about the, the, the baby. So I would be saying we do not push anyone in our family, not we do not push the baby because it, it sort of draws a bit more emphasis to the baby. And what he's Doing is he's trying to sort it out. He's why is she getting all the attention and I'm not? But he's actually getting probably age-appropriate attention. He's just struggling a little bit with this. So I would uh, I would address the behaviour, the pushing, the shoving, the knocking over, the gentle but forceful. I'll just push her head while she's sitting on the floor so she rolls over, looking at you and smiling at the same time. And I'd address that as behaviour. So whether you use some time out, whether you use a little bit of, okay, there's no stories tonight because you're not listening, we do not push anybody. Okay, so that's one part of it. So you're addressing the behavior. The other part is he's calling out for attention. So we need to give him maybe two windows in the day where he's at home with you, where you're giving the attention to him through play, where the baby's in the mix but we're not really focusing on the baby. So we might be building um, Duplo towers and the baby's just moving around us, but we're not drawing any attention to the baby and we keep a little bit of attention on him and maybe doing that a couple of times a day, like doing some cooking with him or building and stacking with him just gets that balance right for him. So you do have to address the behaviour of pushing just as anybody would. It just happens to be his sister or his brother, um, yes. sister, But also, we're going to give a little bit of positive um, attention back to him and see if that balances it out.
0: And it's tricky. Yes, it is tricky. Two is tricky. <laughs> two is tricky. Especially <laughs> when one's a toddler. That's, yeah. that's hard yards. Uh, we have a question from Melanie with 20-month-old twin boys. Right. They're normally good sleepers. However, when they wake up in the middle of the night, it's taking two-plus hours to get them back to sleep. Yeah. I've done the normal bedtime routine stuff, but they just seem to be awake, refreshed, and want to play. Mostly it's just one, but occasionally it's both. Is there any reason why they are raring to go at 3 a.m.?
1: Uh, Melanie, we need that little piece of extra information when they sleep in the day. So it could be as simple as the timing of their sleep. So they need five to five and a half hours from when they wake up from their afternoon sleep going down to bed. So that could be one factor in it. And it could be the amount of sleep that they get in during the day. So we need a little bit more information if you're listening. Um, But at 20 months, I would probably be putting them down at 12.30, getting them up around two 2.30 2.30 at the absolute latest and then I'd be putting them down about five to five and a half hours later. So I tend to get them up at two so I can put them to bed at 7.30 um, but if they slept through to 2.30 it could be actually closer to eight before they're ready for sleep. And this might be having an impact on your night. So if they're sleeping later, but being really good and going down nicely for you at seven, when they wake up at one in the morning, then generally speaking, they um, have the energy to stay awake.
0: Oh, we've got Melanie's written uh, normally they're in bed for two hours nat- day nap from 11 a.m. to 1, one.
1: p.m. And then um, what putting time them do you put to them bed. Down? See how quickly they So you around can get back seven, to us. I assume, on that, around seven. So move their sleep out a little bit to 12.30 to 2. Then move their evening out a little bit to about 7.30-ish. And, and then when they wake up at night, you'll know the timing's right. So then you can deal with the behaviour. So this is where it gets a little bit difficult. Sometimes what we have to take is the child who's most likely to sleep through the night we take him out of the room and put him in a portacot in another room and for one or two nights we deal with the settling of the first baby that's in his bed so just leaving him for periods of time then going in quick settle and back out of that room and then repeating that sequence till he self settles should over 2 to 3 nights get them all back together again and sleeping well
0: Fingers crossed. Hope that works for you, Melanie. And we have time for one last question. This is an anonymous um, question that's come through on the text line, which is 0437665200, although this is the last question, so you probably (laughs) don't want to text us now. Hi, Chris. Any tips for the end of daylight savings? It's coming up uh, for a 16-month-old who is on one sleep a day.
1: Okay. So lots of people get worked up about daylight saving. I do. (laughs) Yes. And it's not about my kids. It's about me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So where are we, leaping forward this time? Don't
0: ask me. I've got no idea.
1: (laughs) Okay. So generally speaking, regardless of whether we go backwards or forwards, by the end of the first day after, so daylight saving happens on the Saturday night, the Sunday, by Sunday night you need to be putting them back to bed at exactly the same time as they normally do. So if we're going backwards, So what was six o'clock is five o'clock. So your baby wakes up at five o'clock in the morning instead of six. Then I'd be giving them a slightly longer sleep in the middle of the day so that you could get them to seven o'clock on the Sunday night. Okay. So once you get back to seven o'clock on Sunday night and they sleep that first night, they've absorbed the hour. So it's no big business deal. Business as usual. Yeah. If we're going forward, <laughs> so 6 becomes 7, mm. then I just shorten their day sleep a little bit, put them back to bed at 7 o'clock at night, and we're back in the right place. Funny enough, moving one hour is far more difficult than moving 24 hours and flying to London. That's okay, much well, easier. Just, mm.
0: So maybe fly to London? Where yeah, and fly going? back again.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, back, okay, so that one hour, usual. just think got to get back to the same point at the end of the night and it'll be absorbed all right
0: okay well um thank you everyone for all your questions on the facebook live and if you email us through something um that's all we have time for today um if you've been listening to us via the podcast and you'd like to ask Chris your questions live, then you can join us every Friday at 11.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which will change soon. Yeah, it Daylight saving. <laughs> uh, But you will find us on the Babyology Facebook page. Just search for Babyology on Facebook. And we'll be there. Um, and you can write your questions in the comment section. And normally, and hopefully next week, you'll be able to call in again, yeah. which is one eight hundred 543 We're pretty sure we'll be up and running next week. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. That was Helpline on Feed, Play, Love, hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. If you want to ask Chris your questions for the next episode, you can email them to us directly. The email is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Next time on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking to Professor Hannah Darlin from the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Western Sydney University about what to expect from a vaginal birth. The problem we have when we go into many hospitals is we have a menu approach, which goes something like this. You can have gas and air, then you move on to to morphine, and then you move on to the big guns of of Epidural. But there is all these other things that women can do that will often mean they don't need those other things, or at least get them along into labour a certain way, and then if they need them, they they can always get them. Hannah will break down ways you can prepare for a vaginal delivery and what you can expect in a hospital setting. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper and hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt.